Hi, and welcome to Things of Interest. I'm Sophia Friends. And I'm Serena Chen. This episode, we're talking about dating in the digital era, which is something I have no experience in. It's true. Not only is Serena tragically heterosexual, <laughs> she's also spoken for and so does not have the ongoing and tumultuous experience with dating apps, online dating, and having to interact with other people that I do. We grew up in an era where everyone on the internet was a creepy old man, when You've Got Mail was a rom-com partly because Tom Hanks was flirting with women online. <laughs> Even three years ago, you'd lie about meeting your significant other on Tinder. But these days, it's not so bad to be dating someone from the internet. Whether that be Tinder, Grindr, Bumble, JSwipe, or one of the many other niche dating apps that are out there. With the rise of apps, and indeed OkCupid, we've also experienced a seismic shift in culture regarding what dating is, what relationships are, and how to navigate very old waters with our new, and constantly updating, ships. Serena, what are your thoughts on modern love? Modern love has definitely evolved from the pre-internet era, with the rise of all these like new options that we get to meet new people. The key difference, I reckon, though, is the evolution of our expectations in relationships. Because relationships are starting to mean different things. What was once a formal bond, or maybe something done uh, to bring together through families, or maybe something done to fix gender roles and describe the division of labor, it's now a lot more negotiable. And even things as defined as marriage now, it means completely different than it did 10, 20 years ago. So I feel like nowadays we really have to be more open and direct uh, about what we want from the relationships because of these changing definitions and because of these changing expectations. That adds a, a really interesting layer to it all. And that plus, you know, the internet, plus the ability to meet all these new different people that you weren't able to before, that adds a really interesting dimension as well. Well, and particularly, like, the um, there's been a removal of a lot of social barriers when it comes to dating. So, like, what class you belong to doesn't matter as much as it used to, although it still matters in worrying amount. Um, mm -hmm. What... Uh, and the increased acceptance of lots of different sexualities means, like, the dating world is huge. Like, you're seeing lots of different relationships take off. And to an extent, I think those have really contributed to the fact that, like, heterosexual relationships are getting more chilled out. It's because, like, the actual acceptance and, you know, legality of being not straight has, like, allowed um, queer people essentially to dictate their own relationships and how that should look. And it's great now because if you're not straight especially since online communities can create these very targeted, very niche communities, uh, you're in the space where you feel safe to say, you know, these are my preferences. Whereas perhaps 10 years ago, uh, if you're just coming to a new community in real life and you don't know what people's political opinions are, it doesn't feel safe. To, yeah, and I mean, like, to even say today, you loud. might hook up with someone and then find out they're a Republican um, but then you can just walk away and never speak to them ever again. Whereas previously often your social circles were a lot smaller. And so you'd be constantly interacting with Republicans. Okay. Yeah. Can, let's actually talk about hookup culture for a second here. Cause this yeah, is yeah. something, again, I have like no, <laughs> <laughs> no firsthand experience with, but at the same time, just around my friend groups, it's a, it's, it's not a taboo thing and it's a, it's a very accepted thing. 
what are your thoughts on on how how there's been a shift in how we review relationships with with all these apps coming up i think it's resulted in a shift from how we view relationships from being like the person you date is like both like your sort of emotional companion but also the only person you have sex with like ever to just like recognizing that like we can be physical with lots of different people and like experience what kind of sexy things we like and what we're into and then when we find someone that we want to emotionally connect with like that's going to be the person we date there's a lot more emphasis on that emotional side of things with the rising and hookup culture and certainly apps like tinder have really facilitated that so certainly when tinder first came out it was predominantly for hookups but there are increasing numbers that i've seen on tinder when i go on there um that there are people who are quite genuinely looking for connections they're looking for relationships Mm. or friends and that's a really nice thing to sort of see that shift that we're getting almost like back again like there was a period where everyone was super excited about the fact you could just like have a lot of sex and it's all good and you know maybe maybe I'm getting old um (laughs) but I think there is like that realization that like you can have a lot of physical relationships with people and the emotional connections is what forms the basis of a really good relationship Hmm. there's been an interesting pattern I've noticed in a lot of stories I've heard in that how when you decide to do your swiping actually signals what kind of relationship you're looking for on tinder so apparently if you're doing your swiping like 10 o'clock at night then you're looking for a hookup whereas if you're doing your swiping you know a morning tinder swipe or a, a nice you know lunchtime <laughs> i don't know kind of a kind of thing you're implicitly signaling you want something different i'm not sure if that's true though <laughs> I, I i feel like if you're looking for immediate new matches to talk to like that is true um i certainly like because I am a woman and I exist in the world, often I will, like, have quite long conversations with my matches before I decide to meet up with them, Um, Mm. particularly men. It'll just be like, okay, so I don't want to meet up with you immediately because you could be an axe murderer, and that's quite a legitimate fear for me to have. Yep. So let's just talk for, like, three days, and then we'll go out (laughs) for coffee and I'll go from there. On Tinder, certainly, I haven't really experienced, like, that huge pressure to like immediately meet up with someone i have found it on other apps which we'll get to a little bit later um i think yeah. like the fact that you know apps like tinder um sites like okcupid to an extent um places like grinder have facilitated hookup cultures because you suddenly have like this huge range of choice so like there are suddenly mm-hmm. all of these options available to you like and even if like five percent of them are also into you that's a huge amount that you can potentially hook up with. And so that's quite exciting. And like the ability to like get into that is really, really exciting and awesome. And so you might want to experience that and see what it's like. Absolutely. The thought that I have always had about dating is just the realization of how, how random it is. I mean, especially in life when I've noticed that people who get together often do so by almost accident, you know, they, there's a natural attraction and, they get together and uh it's a very long relationship usually and just how random that is like if if they weren't there at that party if they didn't meet them in that class that just would have never have happened and these these partnerships and i'm talking about reasonably monogamous partnerships these partnerships really affect you for like a very large portion of your life and so if 
I mean, if we have the opportunity to expand the the pool of people that we are exposed to, then why not? Yeah. Although certainly having said that, both you and me spent um, a good four years of our lives in Dunedin. So mm. really, if you miss meeting someone at that party, you'll meet them at the next party because <laughs> that city is so small. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, when we expand our, our dating pool so much, is it a situation of information overload? This is a thing that, that I've asked myself in the past because relationships, like having a good relationship uh, with someone is important to me, but that's not so important to me that I would, I would spend hours and hours pouring through a large list of people searching for someone who's just right. It's something that is definitely an important part of my life, but it's something that I don't want to dedicate like 50% of all my resource and time towards, if that makes sense. Oh, certainly. And like a lot of people um, who have dating apps or online dating will spend a lot of time on that um, and really invest into it. And it can be um, infuriating the results you get. I think one of my favorite parts of OkCupid is the bit where you can say, I don't want to see or be seen by straight people. Cool. It's just kind of, it's it's very nice. <laughs> this is a little off topic, but what I really love about OkCupid is just the statistical information and the analyses that they release. It's absolutely fascinating. It's a little people into people's desires and how they think and how they, they select their partners. Oh, certainly. I have dabbled in OkCupid. I've never gone on to it quite seriously. Um, mm-hmm. I am definitely a child of the digital era, and so phone apps are really more my speed. I think I think places like OkCupid and eHarmony certainly um, tend to strike a chord with people who are maybe five or ten years older than us uh, who are looking for relationships. Mm. It's interesting how, how society has kind of evolved with that new way of finding relationships. It was just the other day, actually, that I I was listening to another podcast, Codebreakers, I think, and there was a story about a middle-aged woman who did not have a very good first marriage and she was uh, looking to write for a newspaper column and there was an email address printed that was like author 54 or something, which happened to be a typo. It was supposed to be author 45. So she sent this email out to this random person and she heard back from this person who's like, oh, I don't know what's happening. I think, you know, I think you've got the wrong person. But then they, these two started talking and the woman was in America and the guy on the other end was in Sheffield, the UK. And they talk for a year and they eventually decide to meet up and they're married happily ever after kind of thing. And it's a very... It's told as a strange story. I think at this point people are really not used to the idea of meeting someone over the internet and having that emotional connection. But something that she said uh, that I think is really pertinent to this whole internet dating thing is that you you chat with them first and not in person. So it's it's knowing someone from the inside out. You're not seeing you know how attractive they are physically. You're not seeing those things to kind of muddy the waters you're seeing them for who they really are and their personality i think the other side of that though is not really seeing the person on the other end like a person 
Mm. And so, like, to an extent, that can be good, right? In the sense that, like, you can be more honest, you can feel more able to be yourself because you're just like, I don't care if I get judged. They're not really real. They're just someone who, like, lives in my phone and chats to me. Um, (laughs) But also it means, like, we can be jerks to people. Like... Oh, yeah, definitely in, in the hookup culture type of Oh, deal. yeah. Like, these people were, were talking to each other every single day. I think they had a very serious online relationship. Whereas in hookup culture, I've seen some, you know, the classic straight white boys texting com. <laughs> Just some horrific shit. Yeah, certainly, like, boys don't deal particularly well with rejection. So when you reject a dude a lot of the time, he'll be, like, quite angry at you mm-hmm. i certainly ran into uh, a beautiful beautiful experience with a gentleman on tinder where i was like you know he matched with me and so i was kind of chatting and i was like oh you know asked him some sort of icebreaker kind of question and he was like i really don't care mm. and i was just like about the question he was like no about you i'm like i mean i can unmatch you can unmatch we're both good here, mate. Like, what are you doing? What a dick. And it's just kind of like that not recognising that the person you're interacting with is also a person with their own wants, desires, needs. Like, mm. generally those wants, desires and needs are all, like, not being treated like you're an object. As a wee segue, have, have you found that because, you know, there's this kind of visual barrier and there's also kind of a temporal barrier as well you can leave them a message they can read it later kind of thing because of that there's the opportunity to try on new personalities even to to be someone who you'd like to be have you experimented with any of those kinds of things um not particularly like i'm fairly happy in who i am and like confident sort of just like being me chilling out it's a good time um i understand Mm -hmm. that other people may like want to be more honest about, like, dorky hobbies they might have with, like, someone who they might end up dating. And I think, like, online dating and apps that are used for relationships and hookups provide a really good gateway to be able to do that. Yeah, that's something that's really intriguing to me. I can can find myself trying on uh, different personalities, stuff that I would otherwise be too shy to do in real life if I if I wanted to be more confident about myself then you know that's a personality that I'd really like to to experiment with and under the under the guise of internet dating it could be a it could be a really interesting experiment but then that like you know you take that to the extreme and that segues into catfishing have you ever been catfished? Have you ever heard stories of catfishing? I haven't actually heard any stories of, like, anyone I know being catfished. Like, I genuinely mm. don't think it's a widespread phenomenon. I think it might have been a little bit in the earlier days of the internet, um, but I was too young to internet date then, so have no personal mm. experience with that. I think it's it might be more widespread on platforms that aren't location-based. So Tinder's very location-based, you know, it's it's done with the purpose of you'll meet them in real life. And but it's linked to your Facebook, I, so, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I have definitely heard a lot of stories where people have formed relationships online, um, usually, like, over state lines, uh, overseas kinds of things. And and there's, like, there's been a few Tumblr posts which I've seen, which is, like, some girl texting her friend, and she's like, 
hey, so I've been catfishing this guy with your photos. Uh, he said he'll buy me things, but only if, you know, only if I send him a selfie holding up two fingers. And the reply from her is just like, I got you, girl, with a selfie of herself. <laughs> Go get you some stuff. I know that there have been um, situations with, like, women on Tinder who have just got guys to order them pizza and then be mm. like, cool, thanks. So it might be – I have a feeling it's more common than, than I suspect. But then again, you know, I, re- I don't really have any real data points here. Yeah, I mean, so, like, no one I know – and, like, I know a lot of people who use dating apps because we're all horrendously alone um, – have been catfished. Like, uh, I just found the article that's, like, girls are just using Tinder to get guys to buy them pizza. <laughs> yeah. But, ah, oh, damn, it's an area ripe for research, I reckon. I'd love to I'd love to see some real data. I don't know how you'd get the data, but, God, that would be interesting. Uh, I actually quite recently read um, Modern Love by Aziz Ansari, uh, which is an excellent book with a lot of data, not specifically about people getting other people on Tinder to buy them pizza, but just about, like, um, how dating and relationships have evolved in the age of the internet and how, like, this sort of plethora of choice has affected our ability to enter into long-term serious relationships. Like, the fact that we're getting married at an older age, why is that? What are the statistics behind that? Um, (coughs) It's really, really good. I'd thoroughly recommend it. I finished it just a few days ago. It's, yeah. Mm. That'd be interesting, because my first guess is because of all our choice, we we get stuck, right? It's like any kind of situation where we have too much choice, we just end up choosing nothing. Well, it's partly that. It's also just like people are realizing that they don't actually need to enter into relationships. Like that's not a necessary mm. part of like living as a human. Mm. Um, and the reason we're getting married later is like women, particularly, no longer have to get married to move out of home. It's definitely like a, a very, well, rather traditional kind of expectation that a one monogamous relationship is is kind of like this all-encompassing thing that uh, satisfies like not only your economic roles, um, but like your sex life and your emotional bonds and your social bond. Like it, it encompasses all these things, whereas nowadays, because... Because we're realizing that we can get, you know, we can get emotional support from different people than the people that we have sex with. We don't necessarily have to enter into a formal, quote-unquote, relationship to to kind of cover all those things. Yeah, definitely. I know certainly, like, my parents don't need or particularly maintain, like, social bonds beyond, like, their marriage Mm. Um, my dad's very, very funny about it when I asked him about it once. When I was a bit younger, I sort of made the comment that he didn't seem to have very many friends, and he was like, Sophia, have you met people? <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, okay, fair. But I think, like, also just, like, the normalisation of long-term monogamy isn't necessarily – like, it doesn't necessarily work for everyone. Mm. Like, I think it works for a lot of people, and I think that's amazing, but, like – the acceptance of polyamory, while, like, certainly not there yet, is increasing. Um, mm. The acceptance of people who, like, may never enter, like, a quote-unquote relationship but might have a lot of really close friends. That's, you know, that's becoming more fine. Like, maybe their parents won't be totally fine with it, but, like, socially, it's not as weird as it used to be. Definitely. 
I read a really heartbreaking article about women in China who were over 40 and unmarried. They're, they're referred to as, I think, lost women or something. And they got together and they made like a really powerful statement for their parents to say, hey, I'm not married, but I'm, I'm happy. Um, and, you know, please, you know, please don't dismiss me just because I'm not in a traditional relationship. And it was quite, it was quite heartbreaking to see the, the difference in cultural expectations and values between those two generations. And it was very obvious like that these, these women were absolutely fine and having great lives and great careers. Um, but the disappointment that came from their parents was just like, oh. Oh, yeah. Like, if only I, you'd yeah. understood. <laughs> yeah. I can definitely look forward to that if I am 40 and single still. It's, um, it's mm-hmm. definitely like that generational pressure because like there is that underlying belief for a lot of older people that you can only truly be happy if you're in a relationship. And, it's like, and if you yeah, have a child. Uh, maybe not. Maybe yeah. I'm good. Maybe I'm all good. Um, yeah. And I know, like, certainly in Japan, uh, and I think a lot of people will have read about this, like, because it's a beautiful phenomenon. The, um, Japan is a rapidly aging population, and none of the mm-hmm. young people want to date or get married or have children. Mm. Uh, and so Japan is bribing people, like, you get – huge amounts of money and bonuses if you get married and have a child just like okay this is a fun way to solve a problem you could also solve it with immigration japan but all right that's such a strange problem to have like we need people to be making babies well do we like the world is the best Uh, the world is a very big place (laughs) there's people everywhere well i mean like i think it also reflects to an extent on japan's decently xenophobic culture and the fact that like immigration isn't encouraged or accepted particularly Mm. like even from white people and i am so used to being treated well in every country i go to serena it's very jarring to know that like japan would be totally into me immigrating that's so weird because in china it's almost the opposite like if a white person goes to china suddenly they're a celebrity overnight and it's it's kind of it's very strange so it's it's interesting to hear that about Japan. I didn't know that. Yeah, just gen- generally, like, immigration is very disencouraged. Um, should we move the conversation back to these apps? Because yeah. I think I think you can tell me a lot about what's <laughs> going on. <laughs> um, so this app called Bumble, yeah. uh, which is apparently a new app that claims to be feminist by requiring women make the first move. Tell me about a little about Bumble. So... Bubbles essentially been described as, like, a feminist Tinder, right? The entire idea behind it is, like, women have to make the first move. It gives them this incredible amount of power in a situation where, like, even though women are totally equal now, lies, um, <laughs> like, the idea is that we're still sort of a peg underneath men. Like, it's expected for men to make the first move. It's expected for men to ask women out. The founder of Bumble was one of the co-founders of Tinder, and she sort of, like, left the company um, under allegations of sexual harassment. She sued the company for sexual harassment. I'm not sure how that's worked out. But, like, one of the big things about Bumble, and this is incredibly rare for this space, is, like, the ratio of women to men is about one to one. So normally, like, there are so many men and very few women. Um, Mm. I think... One of my criticisms of Bumble, and, like, it is very new, um, and I think, like, they have plans to change this, is just, like, it's 
pretty bad if you're looking for same-sex matches. And, like, particularly in smaller places and places not in America, like, there's a limited number of people who are on Bumble. Um, the other thing is that I found that even if I was making the first move, or, like, maybe because of it, the men somehow seem, like, bolder to harass me. I wonder if that's because it's it's put forward as a feminist app. Maybe a bunch of trolls got sent to it and signed up. Well, I mean, often we'd have, like, quite normal conversations and then they'd just start being like, I want to meet up with you now. Like, why aren't we meeting up right now? You should come over to my place. And it's just like, no, I'm good. <laughs> and, like, the amount of – um. The fact that this went on so long, it often went on a lot longer than it ever did on Tinder because I'd just be like, no, and guys would be like, oh, but really? And I'd be like, yeah, really, please chill out. You're being weird. And they'd just mm-hmm. leave it. Um, whereas on Bumble, I'd just get chased and harangued by these boys. And it's like, no, thanks. I'm good. I like not being harassed on a dating app. I like not being, like, told by a guy that I should, like, uber an hour to his place when I've never met him before like I'm, I'm good without that and often like when guys say something like that and I say no I do like try to explain the fact that like firstly horrendously unsafe secondly like mm-hmm. why are you putting the financial onus for this on me you should come to my place clearly like <laughs> and finally like asking more than once is kind of rude and so like, I think like it's a noble idea um, but I would really like to see how it sort of plays out and like whether it gets a better user base in Melbourne. I live in hope, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if it's um if the men on that platform feel more entitled because of the one to one ratio. Well, I don't think a lot of them know about the one to one ratio. I think like the fact oh. that women make the first move might make them feel that they have to sort of lift their game a little bit. Um <laughs> Okay. I certainly don't find that as being particularly bizarre because like as a notable bisexual like Mm. I have always taken the line that I try and treat my relationships with men and women in a similar if not exactly the same way so like Mm. if I don't feel weird about asking a woman out I shouldn't feel weird about asking a man out Mm. which I think is a kind of perspective a lot of heterosexual people don't have so there doesn't seem to be many apps for queer women. Why Why do you think that is? It is true for exactly the reason you would suspect it to be. Um, so Grindr, Grindr's great. Grindr's wonderful for gay men. Like, mm. it's not match-based, it's just distance-based. So essentially you can match with anyone or you can talk to anyone, whereas Tinder and Bumble have the thing where you can only talk to each other if you match with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, like, I think a very, very good thing. Uh, a lot of queer women apps have failed because men get on there and start being gross. I see. I wonder if that's the same thing that happened to Bumble. Because I know I know there is, like, a legion of men out there that basically exist to, to troll and harass women. So it, it would it would not surprise me at all. And I mean they're doing this because, you know, they they feel victimized, they've been fed this narrative that, you know, um they're being oppressed for some reason. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if if word got out that this was a feminist dating app and a bunch of trolls went on to match with people not in good faith. See, 
I only got Bumble because I'd had quite a few people speak very highly of it to me and been like, oh, mm-hmm. you love it. It's a feminist dating app. The guys on there are great. And, like, maybe I just have a low tolerance for bullshit, but it just genuinely wasn't a good experience for me. And, like, mm-hmm. certainly I would encourage people to try things out for themselves um, and really experience things themselves and certainly don't take my word for it on, like, just, you know, the gospel truth. I'm just talking about my own experiences here. But, like, I had a pretty bad time. <laughs> mm. I wonder if this is one of those cases in which instead of creating a new platform, which may or may not be abused, and is to use current platforms and perhaps signal, yeah, I don't know how to fix that. I mean, I'm, think- I'm coming from this in, as, a, uh, as a person in tech with a, a product strategy kind of... <laughs> kind of perspective is just how how you would how you'd fix something like that because i i assume on any kind of platform no matter you know this is dating apps and as well as any kind of social platform you would get actors who act in uh who don't act in good faith and who who are there to to troll and harass people and they get a laugh out of that and that's just you know how the internet works and so how do we how do we design systems to to curb that how do we make it inconvenient enough for those non-good faith actors to behave that way i don't know but it's it's definitely something that we need to solve just as a as a general like platform problem i mean i feel like a lower like barrier to just kicking people off the platform would be a really beneficial thing Mm. and like my bad experiences on tinder have been in the realm of like guys just be like saying things without thinking so like i'll yeah. make some comment about not wanting to make meet up with a guy immediately because you know he might murder me yeah. and he was like oh well like even if we talk for longer how will you know i'm not a murderer and i was like excuse <laughs> me for a second <laughs> while i link you yeah it's like well i link you to the statistics of how many women <laughs> die in australia that's not making day, me like, feel better yeah <laughs> like thanks you're great. Yeah. Um, and, like, look, I don't want to give mm. men, like, passes. I don't want to say anything like boys will be boys. But, man, like, a lot of boys are just a little bit little bit silly and just speak without thinking or, like, don't recognize their internalized misogyny. And if you're doing it, if you're on Tinder, like, you kind of just roll with it. You're like, oh, right, you, you have a bit of internalized misogyny, man. How about... Uh, inquiring on that. Do you want to just do you want to just like change your entire outlook on life for me? No. Okay. Unmatch. Like, and because of that mm. huge choice, like it's you feel a lot less fussed about it. You're just like, all right, cool. You're gonna keep being misogynist. Goodbye, friend. Um, which I think is, is this huge advantage over like meeting people in real life. Like, if you yeah. go out for a drink with someone or you sit down for dinner with someone, it turns out they're like a fuckboy. Like. <laughs> You can't do shit about that. That is definitely a key difference. And, I mean, with its own pros and cons. Because I have found, like, in the realm of real life, uh, when you talk to someone and they, they have some internalized misogyny and they have no idea about it, it's not it's not the case in which you can just say, well, you can just not say anything and just leave the conversation. Like, you, you have to – there's there's conventions around that. So I found – the con is that you can't just get up and leave. 
but also the the pro to that is that i've found that i've had some really interesting conversations with people who who don't realize their misogyny and who i have you know very very subtly pointed it out and and at the end of the night i ended up changing their minds about something so that you know those are those are the more positive outcomes that i've found but definitely like if if you had to do that for every single fuckboy fuck that yeah and i mean like that that's just too much i'm a lot more chill about like essentially anonymous people on the internet being a bit of a dick to me than i am about like people who i've met who i've like formed an impression of who i like might have a friendship with like if someone sends me a dick pic and i don't know them like i don't i genuinely don't care that much Mm. it's just like oh cool a penis because I didn't know what those looked like. Come on, I have a degree in biology. <laughs> but, like, I've also had, like, dick pics sent to me by people who I considered friends. And that's way more disturbing. That's real weird. Like, when it comes down yeah. to it, I'd always rather be harassed by someone on Tinder than, like, someone I know. Mm. Which is a very strange <laughs> thing to feel. No, no, I, I completely understand that. Because someone you know is, again, as you said before, you know, they're a quote-unquote real person. Uh, whereas with the with this barrier, this kind of technological barrier, you can kind of distance yourself from that. So even though they are real people and you can feel that, when they start being terrible people, when they start behaving in a way that's, uh, that's harassing and abusive, you can distance yourself from that and you can distance yourself from that harm and say, okay, I'm just going to block this person. I'm just not going to reply. It's both emotionally and physically. So, like, because you're physically distant, you don't have to be like, oh, haha, you're so funny because you're two feet taller than me and clearly go to the gym. Wow, that kitchen joke, huh? You just you just made it, eh? Like... Haha, <laughs> back away, slowly, run. But because run. you're, like, <laughs> often physically, like, across the city from someone, you can call them out on their shit mm. without being afraid that you're like you will die if you do that, or like you could be injured, or just like genuinely being afraid of them. And I think that's a huge positive. Speaking of um, physical distance, have you been in a long distance relationship? Have I been in a relationship in the past two years? I think you'll find the answer is no. Oh, in a long distance one, or in any relationship, Serena. Ah, oh. oh, okay. <laughs> I'm so alone. Were you were you dating when you went to America? Yes, I was. Was your partner? They were also traveling, weren't they? Uh no, they were they were back in Dunedin. Okay. Uh, he came and visited me uh, during summer Cute. for a little while. But yeah, it was it was long distance the whole year. Yeah. So do you think like technology sort of helped that survive? I don't want to use the word survive. Mm. Helped it go? <laughs> yes and no. Uh, so it's this whole like expectation thing, right? With, with everything changing, our expectations are changing. And with the advent of technology, I think we both kind of expected more contact from each other, more contact than we were realistically going to get. Cause let's be honest, like I'm, I'm in this completely different country. I'm studying at the same time. I'm working two jobs. I'm traveling and meeting new people. So realistically, I couldn't keep uh, regular long-term kind of everyday kind of contact with them and that was that was a pain point that became really frustrating because I think if we didn't 
you know, in a parallel universe where we didn't have all this wonderful communication technology, if we were, I don't know, like writing letters to each other or some shit, I don't think we would have had the same frustration because we, we wouldn't have expected that level of communication. Yeah. Uh, so that, that was, that was an interesting thing to go through because I went through that kind of twice because in my relationship prior to that, uh, we also went long distance for a year and that was like a high school boyfriend and that was the same problems. It was, um, he expected more contact from me, uh, and I, I was in a new situation, so I was, you know, busy with other things. And I've definitely found that when when my partner has gone somewhere else and is doing something exciting and I'm, like, uh, stuck in my, my daily routine kind of thing, I definitely expect more contact and I want more contact than is probably reasonable to, to expect. So, I mean, definitely technology is fantastic for long term long distance relationships in which you you have all this communication power and you can you know you can skype and you can call them it's as if they're really there you can you know send them drawings uh, video it's all of this media and yet at the same time in my experience i found that because that raised our expectations so much it was it was more damaging to the relationship than it was helpful that's that's really interesting. So like um certainly the friends I know that are in long distance relationships are often in them long term rather than like someone has traveled mm-hmm. somewhere and they miss them. Like I think I like to think I'd find it quite understandable if my partner, my hypothetical partner traveled somewhere um and like you know, was having a good time. I could be like, "Okay, cool. Like you do you. Have a good time. Check in with me at mm-hmm. some point." I miss you. I love you. Um, but, like, the people I know who are, like, who really appreciate the effect that technology has on their relationships are people who, like, or near permanently live in other cities or in other countries. And so they just live their normal lives and they can Skype and there's um a particular thing called Rabbit, which, like, mm-hmm. means you can watch videos together and, like, do basically everything together, which is really, really cute. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, no, I, I genuinely never really thought about the fact that like there is a higher ability for connection, so a higher expectation for connection. That's really interesting. Yeah, I didn't expect that either. Um, <laughs> I I didn't expect how much work uh, would go into keeping up this relationship when I'm not physically there. I didn't expect, you know, we had to we had to schedule times. I had to block out you know, entire two to five hours of my day slash night kind of thing to, you know, watch a movie with my partner. And that's something that I just wouldn't have had to do. And that's something that I wouldn't have even thought of without the advent of communications technology. Because it because you're not communicating with them 24-7 and you're not available 24-7, your long-distance partner is kind of less in the front of your mind and more in the back of your mind. Like, oh, yes, you, you miss them and, you know, you can't wait to see them again. But they're not always there getting your attention. Um, and so it's it's definitely a lot less work. And that work was something <laughs> that I did not expect at all. Okay. 
Oh, that's really interesting. So, um, there's certainly, like, a lot of apps that are lower impact on your day than, like, Skyping or watching a moving together. Um, I think there's one, I'm trying to find the name of it. It's called Couple. Um, and the idea is that, like, if you both put your thumb, match your thumbs on the screen, like, mm-hmm. it turns a different colour and you have a thumb kiss. That's adorable. Yeah. It's like the modern idea of, like, looking at the moon and going, oh, we're looking at the same moon. Um, (laughs) Except (laughs) your thumbs are touching the same place on your smartphones. Mm. Um, Which I think is, like, really nice. That is really nice. And, like, when you consider, like, how our jobs are changing and how our work is changing and how, like, we're more likely to, you know, need to be in other places from our partners, at least during some part of our relationship. Mm-hmm. Having the ability to just have so- things like that where you're just like, oh, thinking about each other. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. More more low-impact stuff. Yeah. I think the thing that really got me was the fact that I had to, like, actually block out time instead of, you know, instead of in – when we're physically in the same place, then it's not like we have to block out time. We just we just see each other. Um, whereas you know you're in a and you're in a new country. You're meeting all these new people. They're having a party, and you have to say no. I'm sorry. I have to Skype with my partner. Um, that I don't know. You get FOMO. <laughs> whereas with low impact stuff, then you can you know, you can enjoy your new environment as well as keeping in touch with them and letting them know that you're thinking of them, which is really nice. That's really nice. So it seems that, well, to me, relationships have gone from being this umbrella that encompasses all of, like, your needs from other people, whether that be economic needs, sexual needs, uh, emotional needs. And nowadays we we can separate that out. We can be very clear about exactly what we want from a specific person, whether that be, you know, the whole package or whether that be just a primarily sexual relationship or a, or a platonic one. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to get the perspective of uh, asexuals and aromantics, get their perspective of what they look for in relationships and how, how the, their relationships are divided up in terms of different personal needs. I mean, I feel like aromantics probably don't look for relationships in the um, very movie cinema kind of sense. It's probably just, like, a lot of very key friendships. And, like, I certainly, um, when I realised that my friendships were probably the most important things in my life, because, like, I've Mm -hmm. never been in the situation where I've needed a romantic or sexual partner, and I have been in the situation where I've needed, like, a friend. Mm, Um, Definitely. Like, my friendships are always going to be the most important thing to me. And so, like, I put a lot of effort more into cultivating those than necessarily, like, looking for a partner, which, you know, is probably partly, at least, why I've been single for the past two years. But also, like, I have a lot of really good friendships that I don't regret at all. And I, like, I certainly can't speak for the asexual and aromantic communities, but I feel like friendships are perfectly fulfilling, Friendships are fantastically fulfilling. I'd really love to see uh, the removal of, like, single being a bad thing. Like, every time I've heard it, 
every time I've heard my friends say like, like, oh yeah, I'm still single. It's, it's said with like a kind of negative context and that, that's not, that's not necessarily true. Like being single is absolutely, totally cool because as long as you're getting, you know, those connections and as long as you know, you're, you're fulfilling those connections and you're getting emotional support, um, and you're getting whatever that you need from other people in whatever kind of relationship you're in, whether that be platonic or otherwise, then you're happy and that's all that matters, right? Yeah. I mean, like, I'm mostly bitter about it because whenever people are telling me about how they got through their PhDs, they're like, oh, the support of my partner was totally, like, irreplaceable. And it's like, okay, cool, thanks. <laughs> None of that. Right but, <laughs> right, but, like, what did their partner do to support them? Because I can assure you that's probably not sexual. Like, it's it's probably stuff that friends can do. It's stuff, it's, like, emotional support. Stress release. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a whole different kind of spectrum of things. I think it was probably the luxury of having someone so dedicated to your well-being and, like, mental health that really mm-hmm. facilitates those kind of last stages of PhD. But, yeah, I just get quite bitter whenever, like, People are talking about PhDs or existing as a woman in science and they're like, oh, the reason I managed to get so far in my career is I've got a really supportive partner. And I'm like, shh, <laughs> no, <laughs> stop it. It's a, it's a sufficient condition, but it's not a necessary condition. Thanks, Serena. Mm. <laughs> awesome. Well, should we wrap up? Yeah, I think it's time to wrap up. Hey, thanks for listening to Things of Interest. It's a show about life and tech through a feminist lens. And this episode was on modern dating. Cool. Uh, If you're interested in what we've discussed about and want to know more stuff, then we've got some pretty comprehensive show notes that you can check out on our website. Our website, which you can find us on, is thingsofinterest.co. And we're on Twitter at Casting Interest. If you've got something you want us to discuss, ideas for how we could improve, or media you want us to review, drop us a line through either of those. And as always, please do leave us a review on iTunes. Tell your friends about it if you really enjoy this podcast. Uh, Thanks for listening and see you next time. Bye.